Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Our first sponsor today is Navy Hair Care. I have been working with Navy Hair Care since they launched back in 2018. At that time, I was about a year postpartum with our third child, and my hair was experiencing some trouble after some significant postpartum hair loss. Navy really helped to strengthen my hair, and I noticed a big difference about one to two months after using it regularly. With biotin, vitamins, and rosemary oil, This shampoo and conditioner combo has been part of my daily routine for years now. I also use the charcoal mask every one to two weeks to help revitalize my hair. It helps to dry out toxins, heavy metals, and impurities, which we have plenty of since we have well water. This mask will leave your hair feeling incredibly soft and lightweight. You can use the code Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y, for 30% off your order. And I will leave the links to the products I mentioned within the show notes. Today's episode will feature women from the community that have experienced abortions. Each one of these stories is unique and I encourage everyone listening to try to place yourself into their shoes. I can't remember exactly where I saw this, but there was a quote that recently stood out to me. It said, there is no law that can morally predict, control, or punish the infinite number of things that can happen when a person is pregnant. I hope that this episode does a few things. I hope that it makes others who may have had an abortion or who may be making that decision feel less alone. I hope that it will open eyes and ears to those that may disagree with abortion and help them to understand why someone else may make this decision and to understand that their decision is their decision only. The women who made this choice to talk with me about their experiences are brave and courageous women. They are stepping up to share their stories in hopes that it helps others and to continue the conversation about why allowing women to choose is so important. I want to thank them again for taking the time out of their busy life to share their stories with us. As a warning, I just want to say that this episode does talk about infant loss. Please be aware of that before continuing on with the episode. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode, this podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. I, in 2018, I was pregnant with my first baby. We were over the moon, as most people are when they're planning to get pregnant. I had pushed my 20-week ultrasound a little bit, the anatomy scan, to 21 and a half weeks about is what I was. It was uh, going in, we were really excited when we were in the ultrasound, kind of the worst fears happened and The OB tech got really silent and we learned that there was little to no amniotic fluid when there should be a lot at that point. At this level ultrasound, they couldn't see the kidneys. They couldn't identify certain parts of the heart. They couldn't see the spine. 
Um, our OBGYN was incredible. She was blunt. She met with us afterwards. And I remember my husband just asking, please be honest with us. Is it bad? And she said, yes, it is bad. Um, and I'll always appreciate that just so we kind of knew where we were at. Because at that point, we couldn't get a second level ultrasound until, until five days later, because at, at a normal level ultrasound, they couldn't confirm anything. They just had to look closer. So we five days later, we tried to call every day to get in earlier. We couldn't get in earlier. We first met with a genetic counselor, and she basically prepped us for the ultrasound, what it was going to look for. She prepped us about an amniocentesis, which is another option in this mm-hmm. this case, which we, of course, did. However, you can't get the results back until about 10 days. So we kind of talked about what our options were because in Minnesota, where I live, at 23 weeks, they don't, they don't do abortions or terminations anymore. Um, and at this point, after the five days we had to wait, I was at about a little over 22 weeks. So with the holiday weekend, I had about five days. So it was very shocking. But honestly, the genetic counselor was incredible. After talking with her a lot, we went into the, the tech room and had our ultrasound. And it confirmed everything they saw in the first ultrasound and, and worse. There were missing heart valves. There was no blood flow to the one kidney that had formed. There was only one kidney. And there was countless other brain defects, um, missing limbs, or digits, I should say. But at that point, they could not deem it what they call a lethal pregnancy. So that meant that we had to make the call basically on instinct. Mm-hmm. If, if we thought it was bad enough to abort ourselves, they could not induce us at their location and deliver our baby without that title. And because we had that timeline ticking because of the legal stance, we had to make the call before we had the amniocentesis back, which mm-hmm. at that point... To fast forward a little bit, it was a lethal uh, titled pregnancy based on the amniocentesis. It was trisomy. That's what the baby had. Or triploidy. I'm sorry. It was triploidy. So after that ultrasound, we kind of knew right away. Um, We knew that we didn't want the baby to go through any sort of pain. Um, We knew that it could be hard for me if, if something happened with the pregnancy. So we went home. We got the name of a Planned Parenthood social worker that the, mm. the genetic counselor had given us. And we called her, and this was on a Friday afternoon, so she was out of office. And that's when we started panicking. Um, there was There's only two locations in Minnesota that do late-term abortions, and neither of those had an opening because of that holiday weekend. So at that point, we started calling other states. Um, we had actually booked a flight to Colorado. And we had made an appointment in Colorado and we kept calling. And then finally, I think my mom or my husband, I can't remember who, but somebody called that genetic counselor back to see if she would answer. Someone gave us our self, her cell phone number at the clinic, which was incredible. She called us back and she said, here's another social worker. We called her. It ended up being an amazing woman named Maggie. And she apologized and she said, I'm so sorry. We save appointments for this scenario. I can get you in on Monday. So at that point, we we did breathe out a little bit because that was really stressful. But the crazy part, especially given all that's happened, is that we weren't even able to mourn that eventual loss. We weren't able to mourn the experience of being pregnant anymore. 
because we had to go into that planning mode and there's going to be countless women who have to do that regardless of their situation. They're going to have to look into other states and look into flights they can't afford and gas prices they can't afford to try and cross state lines. So that part just breaks my heart that you can't even mourn what you're losing. So the, it was not a good experience. (laughs) Um, it was way more painful than I expected. And most people don't know. It's not just an in and out thing. It's a two day process. You go in to get dilated, which was really painful for me. For some reason you overnight, you try and dilate with um, a vaginal dispository. And then the next day is when you actually have the procedure. Luckily, everyone there were, were angels. You're also not allowed anybody in the room with you. So my husband couldn't be in there. But the social worker was incredible and she didn't, she wasn't even at this location uh, specifically in Minnesota, but she drove there just to be next to me and hold my hand. And everybody was so beautiful and just empathetic and understanding. And they let me be in the room with the baby afterwards. So they definitely made it the best it could be with the circumstances. I'm sharing with you today my abortion story, which I never thought would happen, right? I've been pro-choice my whole life, but I never thought it would happen to me. (laughs) Um, I'm in my mid-30s. I have two children, two young children that I love more than anything in this world. I'm married, and and my husband and I both work full-time demanding jobs that bring us a lot of fulfillment or we wouldn't do them, but they also make our life very stressful, um, especially in this country where there is such a lack of support for families. Being a working mother is so hard in this country. And it's a conversation I have with friends all the time, like constantly wavering between wanting to quit my job and wanting to be the next CEO. I think it's a common theme and I hear a lot. So this spring, um, just a few months ago, prior to the the Roe first Wade decision being overturned, I got pregnant by accident. It was not planned. And at first I was shocked and so, so scared. <laughs> My husband and I had always only ever talked about wanting two children. We never wanted three. And so it was not part of our plan. And at first, um, getting an abortion didn't even cross my mind. But when my husband and I sat down and started thinking about what that really meant, and it kind of set in, it was the second night after I found out, I was brave enough to bring it up to him and just said, you know, I don't know if this is what I want to do. I don't even know if this is something I can do, but... I don't want to regret at least not saying this out loud. Right? And I was scared too, because I, I love my husband and we know each other very well, but I just didn't even know how he would react. But he was open to a discussion around ending the pregnancy. And so we spent the next few days talking every day or every night for hours. He was so supportive. We talked through every angle, the good, the bad, the ugly. I talked to some very trusted friends Um, who were so supportive, just listened and and said they were there for me no matter what. And I set up a, ended up setting up a virtual appointment for um, a medical abortion. And I thought this process is going to take a few days. Let me at least start it if this is an option I'm considering. And then 
I remember being on the phone call with them and saying, what if I choose not to go through with this? And they said, that's fine. Just let us know if you don't, because they have to do reporting statistics. But uh, I got the medicine in the mail probably about a, a week after I found out I was pregnant. And I, and I still really struggled, right? <laughs> um, I remember sitting with the pills in my hand the day I, I took the first dose. And it really boggled my mind to have something as small as a pill and how much weight it carried in, in just taking it. In the end, what would prevailed was my, my current love for my current children and my husband. Uh, my husband and I both have struggled with mental illness. I had postpartum anxiety after my first child, postpartum depression after my second, and something I still am on medication for and struggle with. He's not alone. We both have struggles. And, and I really feared in the end that having a third child added to our family would break us either individually or our marriage or, and, and I couldn't do that to my kids and to my husband or for myself. It's something I, I definitely felt a ton of guilt over and, and wasn't a easy decision, but in the end it was what was best for, for my family. So my husband and I have been married for almost five years and decided that we were ready to start expanding our family. So ended up getting a positive home pregnancy test pretty quickly, which was awesome and exciting and surprising. Well, by the time it was time to go to the doctor, not so much. So apparently this is pretty common, happens fairly often where get a positive home pregnancy test and then, you know, turns out you're not actually pregnant. So Mm -hmm. that was heartbreaking because, you know, this was a decision that we made. We were excited and my heart was broken. So we try again. Same thing, end up getting a positive home pregnancy test pretty quickly. So super excited, but a little bit hesitant because of what had just happened. So make my first OB appointment. I go, I get a positive test from the OB office. Super excited, have a due date puking all over the place all the time, which was not awesome, but exciting (laughs) to me to be feeling pregnancy symptoms. So I go for my first ultrasound and I can tell by the look on the ultrasound text face that something is not quite right. But of course they can't really disclose anything. So I'm asking questions and she isn't answering them, which is making me even more anxious. So that finishes and she basically tells me there's nothing there. So I'm like, wait, what? So I'm in my internship, I'm in my clinicals. And so I'm in a hospital setting doing, you know, in and out of patients' rooms, barfing in their toilet. I'm like, what do you mean there's nothing there? Because I feel very pregnant. So the doctor calls me into the office and tells me that I have what's called a blithe ovum. So basically sperm and egg meat, they implant and a gestational sac forms. And so your body thinks that it's pregnant, except for in that gestational sac, there is no fetus. There's no embryo. There's there's nothing except for the hormones that make you positive on a pregnancy test and all the other symptoms that come through it. So I have to wait, make sure, come back for another ultrasound a couple weeks later. And yes, for sure, for sure, there's nothing. There's no heartbeat. There's nothing. So at that point, my doctor tells me that I have a couple of options. So she tells me that I can wait, that my body will eventually figure out that there is no anything in that gestational sac. Nothing is there. And my body will eventually figure it out and, you know, release it on its own. Um, I can have a DNC, which sounded very scary to me, or I could insert these pills into my body that basically would make my body contract and release the gestational sac. 
So thought a lot about it, prayed a lot about it, talked to my husband a lot about it and decided to go with the tablet option because I was miserable. Uh, My heart was broken. I felt terrible. Because again, my body feels pregnant, sore breast, throwing up, cravings, all the things. But now I know there's no chance of a baby at -hmm. all. So I did not want to wait for my body to naturally figure it out because that just, I mean, how long does that take? I have no idea. Hours, days, weeks. I mean, I don't want to think that I'm pregnant and not be for weeks. Um, The DNC sounded scary. So chose the tablet option. And that was the most horrific experience of my entire life. But nonetheless, that's the decision that I made. And my concern with everything that's going on is that was my decision to make. That was my body. And I wouldn't want anybody else to have the control to tell me what I needed or not do in that situation. So it's concerning to me that, you know, my OB wouldn't possibly, if this ever happened to me again or to anybody else, have the option to do anything but just wait. And I just don't think that that's fair. I found out I was pregnant right away, basically, you know, four and a half weeks you know, I had just missed my period. So I had gotten off birth control about two years prior to getting pregnant, just wanting to kind of reset my body and get in a normal uh, rhythm. I've been on birth, had been on birth control for like almost 20 years (laughs) because I started when I was 15. I'm, I'm 35 now. Yeah. Almost 20 years. And so decided, you know, I wanted to just be natural and, uh, reset my body. I, my husband and I, you know, are planning on having kids in the near future now. But so we had been doing like where I mo- you monitor your temperature, and that had been going really well. And I'm not even sure what happened with you know getting pregnant. I don't know. We nothing changed out of our our practice. But needless to say, you know, I I did end up getting pregnant. And I knew right away because I was very good with tracking my periods. So, you know, told my husband right away and it was just like, I'm finishing up anesthesia school. I'm almost done here now. But, you know, at the time I was, you know, halfway through and just knew there's no way I could mentally have a baby and finish school. And physically, I didn't know what would you know, happen. I'd never been pregnant before, complications from pregnancy, so on and so forth. So it was a decision that was made, you know, my husband and I both made it together. And it was like, nope, this is this is just what we need to do for for me and for us. We obviously thought <laughs> thought through it, but it was like, no, this is definitely the right decision for us. So I contacted Planned Parenthood right away and I was offered mail-in the the abortion pills they were able to mail it to me they do um, a program that's offered to certain people and so I got those in the mail at this point I was about six weeks along and I took the pills exactly as I was supposed to and had bleeding cramping nausea the whole what's to be expected when you take these pills and you know, was expected that I was just going to feel great right away. And like the next day, I still wasn't feeling the greatest and thought, okay, well, you know, 
I just went through an abortion and the next day was still a little nauseous. And then kind of the week went by and I was like, I just still don't feel, I just don't feel great. And so I contacted them and, you know, I said, well, I'm still a little nauseous. I, I feel okay, but I'm, I'm just a little nauseous. And they thought, well, you know, let me talk to someone. And they got in touch with me and they were like, well, why don't you go in and just get a HCG level checked? And so that took another, you know, three or four days to get in. Uh, so went in and my HCG level was still super high and they thought, well, you know, I guess, yeah, it's possible that that number could mean, you know, you're still pregnant. And so then at that point I was like, oh my God, you know, and scheduled then an appointment to sound. So at that point it's like another week uh, to get in for an ultrasound. And turns out that, you know, I was still in fact pregnant and that was pretty emotional, traumatizing uh, to find out, you know, <laughs> still be pregnant. And at that point it was like, well, you know, my husband and I again talked about it and I talked about it with them and it was kind of like, well, you don't know what the risks could be carrying this now after taking these pills and well, we still want to move forward. So then I was able to get in and, you know, have a suction abortion about the next week. So at this point, I was already like 11 weeks along. And, you know, that was a difficult decision to make. But still, right now to this day, this is, well, it was about, it's actually about exactly a year from when I found out I was pregnant. And I have no regrets at all. I, you know, there's still obviously thoughts of what if, but I have three more weeks of school. I'm in a great place mentally, and I can't even imagine <laughs> how I would have gotten through these last, I mean, this last year, basically. And I can't imagine not have had, had that option to then still have it after taking the pills. So I had a uh, medical termination when I was, I want to say 25 years old. And it was really a shock. It was kind of just a shocking situation because I was pro-choice then, but I had never really considered myself having an abortion or ever thought I would because I wanted, you know, to have a big family and I wanted the pregnancy that I ended up terminating. So it was actually kind of a crazy story. I went with a friend to a gender reveal and they found out that I was pregnant too. And they were like, well, let's just pop you on the monitor and see if we can see what your gender is like just for fun. Like it wasn't even my appointment. I had previously had one miscarriage before this and they were like, oh, you're too early. I was 11 weeks and I, was, I wasn't planning to see anything. So I was, you know, whatever, fine. I was just thrilled to see that there was a heartbeat. And then they, we all started leaving this place and the tech pulled me back and she was like, you need to go to your doctor. And of course I was like, I just freaked out. I ended up trying to get information out of them. They wouldn't give me any because I wasn't a doctor. They would only give it to my doctor and so I went to my doctor and actually went to the emergency room with my history and they popped me on a monitor. Um, they said everything was fine. You know, 
And so I was like really upset that this, this place had really got me worked up. Well, it turned out um, a few weeks later when I was a bit further along that my doctor was able to see the issue that they saw at one of those gender reveal places. Um, and I was at this point almost 14 weeks and they saw that my amniotic sac had ruptured which is like, I had never heard of it. So it, apparently it was like a 1% chance of that happening. And so there were a lot of issues and a lot of problems with the fetus. And I, I kind of was just in shock and not really processing any of that. And I saw a specialist, a high risk doctor, and they, they told me at one point, you know, you're at risk to carry this baby to term. There are about a, there's about a 60% chance that you would have extreme complications from, you know, I don't know. I can't remember because it has been about eight years. I don't remember what the exact complications would have been, but you know, at risk for death. And I did have one child um, already at that point. And I was kind of, I kind of just went into immediate mom mode and was thinking I have to be here for the child I already have. And I very much wanted this baby and had been trying for this baby and had a, a miscarriage just about six or seven months before this pregnancy. So I did make the decision with my doctor's advice to terminate the pregnancy. And by the time I could get into a clinic, I was about 15 and a half weeks. So uh, almost 16 weeks. And so I did have to be dilated and everything. And it was very hard to go through that process. And it, it was traumatic in its own way. And so just to have to kind of deal with it all over again all the time has been a lot just because I, I think even though I did think about it, I didn't have to hear other people's comments about it. So I thought about it personally in my own time and space. But now if I'm at, you know, with friends or family or whatever, you have to kind of hear remarks about it and think of how ignorant people are because they just don't understand all of the factors that go into making such a life-changing decision like this. I really feel for women who are in this situation right now. And I also want to acknowledge that I had the privilege to have this care and that many women will not be able to have access to this the way I did as like a white woman in a, you know, lower to middle income area because I could travel if I needed to for an abortion. And I just want to like make clear to everybody that this is affecting people that in ways that we cannot understand, if that makes sense. I actually became pregnant when I was a senior in high school. It was the summer between my junior and my senior year. And I became pregnant with my high school boyfriend. When my parents found out, they, well, my mom wanted me to have an abortion, but I chose to to keep the pregnancy and to become a mom and to have my son. And he was born when I was 18 years old and a senior in high school before my senior prom. I don't regret that decision one bit. And then later I went on to have my daughter when I was 19. So a year later, they are 18 months apart. Then in 2012, my eight-year relationship ended and I found myself in a situation where I had become pregnant again with a different person. And when I told that person that I was expecting, um, their response to me was, don't know, don't care, get rid of it. 
For me, I was 28 at that time. I had chosen to not terminate my pregnancy when I was 18 years old. So to now do it 10 years later, when I was supposed to be, you know, more stable and in a better situation in life, I was faced with this predicament where I would be a single mom of three children if I chose to keep this pregnancy. I was already struggling on just one income and trying to provide for my children, even though I was working full time. I no longer qualified for any kind of uh, government financial medical assistance. So everything was on me. And I had to think about the two children that I was already currently providing for and if I was able to bring another life um, into this world. And even though it was a pregnancy that I had prayed for and hoped for and wished for for many years previously, it just was not the right decision for myself and my family at that time. And I made the decision to terminate my pregnancy. It was a hard decision. I didn't reach out to anyone in my family because I I knew there was a stigma to it and I didn't want anybody to judge me for it or look at me differently because of the decision, the hard decision that I was making for myself and for my family. But I, in the end, I was able to confide in a couple of friends and it was something that had happened to more people than you would think. And more people had gone through the situation and I was able to find some amazing friends who helped me through it. And I ended up terminating my pregnancy at six weeks and I did an in-clinic abortion. So they removed the fetus and it was heart-wrenching. It was terrifying. I was scared even though the facility, you know, was fine, when they put you into a room for recovery, you're in a bed amongst like five or six other women. And believe me, none of us were happily there. You could see the look on each and one of our faces on how distressing the situation was. And to this day, I still think about that pregnancy, but I know that it was the best decision for myself and for my family. And I just try and provide and give to my older two the best that I can, knowing that I chose their better livelihood to make that decision. And it still pains me. Um, I actually just disclosed to my older two that I had an abortion when Roe was overturned so that they could have a comprehension of it happens to more people than you think. And you know what? It even happened to your mom. In 2018, I actually finally was able to have my third baby. And I have a four-year-old daughter right now, in addition to my 19-year-old son and my 17-year-old daughter. And the fact that they would not be able to make their own decisions on their body for what they feel is best for their lives breaks my heart. And I couldn't even imagine not being able to make that decision for myself and for my family, knowing that it was the best decision in that time.
This podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. As a busy mom, it can be easy for me to get stuck focusing on different problems that may arise rather than trying to find solutions. Learning to find your solutions rather than dwelling on any particular problem is the first step to accomplishing your goals. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish goals no matter how big or small. A few years ago, I benefited greatly from visiting my own therapist and offloading the many challenges that I was currently facing. It allowed me to see everything from a different lens and find different solutions. I was less stressed and less anxious as a result. I truly believe that everyone can benefit from having a therapist to talk with. If you are thinking about trying therapy, BetterHelp is a great option that is readily available from the comforts of your own home. You will get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey, and you can switch therapists at any time. If you want to try it out, my listeners can get 10% off their first month with the link within my show notes. That website link is betterhelp.com slash Lindsay. That's L-Y-N-Z-Y. That's 10% off your first month of therapy at betterhelp.com slash Lindsay. Let me know if you try it. I would love to know your thoughts. This podcast is brought to you by Element. Replacing your electrolytes is key, especially after a good workout or if you keep up a really active lifestyle. When you sweat, the primary electrolyte lost is sodium. Athletes can lose up to seven grams per day. When sodium is not replaced, it's common to experience muscle cramps and fatigue. Element contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio, including 1,000 milligrams sodium, 200 milligrams potassium, and 60 milligrams magnesium. No sugar, coloring, or artificial ingredients. You can adjust how much you want in your drink by adding Element to 8, 12, 24, or 32 ounces of water. Personally, I always add one packet to my 32-ounce water bottle at the beginning of a workout. My go-to flavors lately are the watermelon and raspberry salt. I've been increasing the intensity of my workouts, and I make sure to reach for Element on days where I know I will need it. Element is currently offering Motherhood Meets Medicine listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. You will receive eight single-serving packets free with any Element order. This is a great way to try out all eight flavors. Get yours at drinkelement/lindsay. That's L-Y-N-Z-Y. This deal is only available through the link. Head over to D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash Lindsay. That's L-Y-N-Z-Y. Element offers no questions asked refunds. The link will be in my show notes. So I think maybe what's interesting about my story is that it might challenge people's view on what is the typical story of an abortion or who the typical woman is who gets an abortion. But if one in four women seeks an abortion in her lifetime, then I think, uh, you know, that's a lot of us. And I think because it's so stigmatized, we don't realize how common it is. Um, and we don't hear these stories. And I think it's important to, uh, so anyways, I was in my forties, had uh, three kids who I love a global pandemic hit, and I was a working mom, trying to be a working mom. I was managing online school for three kids, and it just, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. On top of that, I was dealing with some pretty serious pain issues. And so this mistake happened. You know, I found myself to be pregnant with a pregnancy that I did not want. And, you know, so I very quickly made the decision and went through with it. And I went to a clinic uh, that just did a great job taking care of me. I never second guessed it, not even once. And I did it because it's what I needed to do for my family. I was not going to be able to be a good mother to another child. I was maxed out. I didn't 
I don't think my body could have handled it very well. And I really don't know that I would have come out of it surviving on the other end. So that's why I, that's why I sought an abortion. I've had this, you know, interesting evolution on my feelings on abortion. I was raised in a really conservative Christian household. And, you know, I went away to college and started finding my footing and figuring out what I really believe about the world. And along with that, my views on abortion really evolved. You know, when I was in school living at home, I definitely thought abortion was murder. And then I, I kind of started to think, well, you know, who are we to tell people what to do with their bodies? That's not that's not cool. I wouldn't do it, but I'm not going to tell somebody else what to do. And then just as I've learned more and more about it, and it's just so, it's been so clear to me. And, and then my, my, especially once I had my own children, I was just like, whoa, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And how would we ever consider making somebody go through with it who didn't want to? That's insane. And I just think, you know, that for so many women, and, it, you know, I'm in a fortunate position where I have a good job and, I still feel stretched to the max, but we have no, no safety nets and and this false promise of safety nets, you know, being built to handle this new world in so many states is, is such a lie. So I find that really troubling. My abortion story is probably not what people think of when they hear the word abortion. So I feel like it's something that um, maybe by me sharing, other people will be able to kind of understand the perspective of, you know, my abortion and what it meant and the connotation behind it so that when people hear the word abortion, they have a better understanding of what it can mean versus what they probably think it means. So anyhow, I'll just get into it. My husband and I, um, we just celebrated 20 years together. Uh, we met when we were 18 years old in college, and we didn't get married until we were 28. So we essentially dated for 10 years, um, and we waited a little bit later in life to have kids. We didn't really start trying right away. After we got married, we wanted to you know, do a lot of traveling and um, when it was finally time, you know, we finally decided, okay, let's, let's give this a go. I was, I think around 33 maybe. And you really don't think of not being able to get pregnant, but we had tried for quite some time. I'm going to say probably close to two years. I never let on to anyone that we were trying. And I never even told my husband that I was worried that we may not be able to get pregnant at this point. You know, usually after a year, they advise you see someone in a fertility clinic for, you know, some medical interventions perhaps. But I just didn't want to go that route because I felt like if we needed to seek fertility treatment, that that was like the possibility that maybe we couldn't get pregnant. So I just wasn't there in my mind and I wasn't willing to accept that. So anyhow, Lo and behold, about a little over two, two and a quarter years later, I guess, um, we did get pregnant. It was uh, March of 2018, and I finally saw those two lines, and I was ecstatic and also, as I said, shitting my pants nervous, having panic attacks at the mere thought of, oh my God, this is really happening now, but, you know, we were ecstatic. 
I waited a day to like tell my husband and I, I put the pregnancy test in a little box that I had gone to Target to get like a little gift box and um, this little onesie that I had gotten that had our college alma mater on it um, that I actually had purchased probably before we even got married, just thinking one day about having kids with him in our future. And I just kind of tucked it away and never told him about it. So it was kind of like my own little secret. And then a little note, I think I had written from like from baby to daddy kind of thing. And I had my phone propped up to record when he walked home from work one night. And so he'd walk into the kitchen and and find it and had it all recorded. And it was great. It was, he was in shock. It was, you know, we cried. It was happy joy, tears, you know, all that. And I started to feel not right pretty quickly. Um, once I became aware of the fact that I was pregnant, but I do have anxiety. So I did have to chalk that up a little bit to anxiety and also probably doing more than I should of like Google searches <laughs> for different kinds of things. And, you know, I have started reading the book, what to expect when you're expecting. Definitely would not suggest doing that ever again to anybody because so someone that has anxiety, you just kind of can go down the rabbit hole. Anyhow. So I, you know, I started to not feel great. I started to have like a lot of hot flashes. I would describe them as like sweats and just overall, I, I just felt like my mind was just in a fog and I was panicked. And then I would say a few days later, I actually even, you know, I started showing some blood and spotting and I was freaked out. You know, I kept reading in this, what to expect when you're expecting book that that could be normal. You know, I try to talk myself off the ledge, but that wasn't happening. And I called my OBGYN and I explained to them my symptoms. And, you know, they, they said, we'll send you for a blood test. And, you know, 48 hours, you'll go back. I don't know if it's 24, 48 hours, you go back, you do it again. And they'll check your levels, your hormone levels and so forth. And, you know, it didn't look great. I remember when I got the results back, but again, everyone was like, oh, you're so early in pregnancy. Just try to, you know, wait till your eight week appointment. And the nurse called me back and I just, I knew I wasn't feeling right. And I knew that something at that point was just, just felt wrong to me. I just knew in my gut that something was not right. And I kind of demanded to be seen in office by my OBGYN. Um, and I think at that time I was probably five weeks pregnant. So I went in, we knew that my numbers, you know, from the blood test weren't great. And she said, let's go and just do, um, an ultrasound in, in office kind of procedure, but we'll do it at the hospital because I was so early in my pregnancy. That's where she advised we do it. So she's like, when you get to six weeks, you know, we'll, we'll send you in and we'll set that up for you and we'll see if we can, you know, we'll hear the heartbeat and whatnot. And she did say, you know, sometimes at that point, it's still a little too early, but we'll give it a go. So I, in my gut kept thinking, something's definitely wrong. Cause I knew how awful I felt. My husband was trying to be, you know, a good supporter. And he was like, everything's going to be fine. You're going to be fine. This is going to be a great day. So we drove into the city. We went to the hospital and, you know, we, we went back to the room together for the ultrasound and it was an internal ultrasound. And the tech was like, um, I don't, you know, I, I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing a baby. I'm not, you know, I'm not seeing anything. She's like, let me go get the doctor. And I was kind I mean, I was in shock to hear something like that, but at the same time, I almost kind of expected it, I guess. 
And so this doctor comes in shortly thereafter. My husband's like, don't worry, the doctor, you know, let him take a look. I'm like, okay. Doctor comes in and he looks and he kind of confirms what the tech had said. And, you know, he said, I'm sorry, you know, we don't, you know, I don't even see a fetal pole here. There's essentially no baby. It's just your body is kind of almost tricked into thinking that it's pregnant. And so um, he had diagnosed me with a blighted ovum and said that he would write up a report and send it to my OB's office, my OBGYN, and that she would call me with um, what to do next and the steps next. So, you know, he said, I'm really sorry. And he said, you can go ahead and get dressed. And he walked out of the room and I turned around to see my husband and my husband just like lost it and started bawling. And that's when it really hit me how much it was hitting him and how excited he was at the thought of us having a baby. And then I started to get upset. And anyhow, we, you know, it was a very quiet, somber drive back home. And when I spoke with my OBGYN, she said that there was three options basically at this point that we could do. Um, we could let this pregnancy pass naturally, but it may or may not pass naturally. She could give me a medication that would kind of, you know, rid my body of the whatever byproducts of pregnancy were in there. And she said, again, that may or may not work completely. And the third option was a DNC, although at my procedure, um, it ended up that they did a D&E which essentially is dilation and evacuation. I don't really know the difference between that. I hear they're very similar. I don't know why that needed to be done, but I had a D&E. So I chose that procedure because I just, in my mind, I just needed it to be over with because I was like, there's no baby. I just need to move on. And those first two options, letting it pass naturally or taking a medication, maybe it may or may not work. Both of those options just seemed really scary. I didn't want to wait any longer. I just wanted to move on. I just needed this experience to be over because my anxiety was through the roof. So um, I'll go on to say that I just, I had a terrible experience with my DNA procedure. I know it's usually very simple, you know, in office procedure, but for me, it wasn't. I just, I feel fortunate now looking back that I never even had to make a decision about going to a hospital finding a doctor, perhaps breaking laws to have this procedure done for my mental sanity to get rid of byproducts of a pregnancy that there was really no ever no baby anyhow, or a viable pregnancy, I should say. And I honestly didn't even realize that I knew I had a miscarriage. I never knew that I had an abortion per se until I got my first EOB or explanation of benefits from the insurance company. And I think I even asked for the report from the hospital because of all the complications I had, the procedure. And I just wanted to read what had happened during the procedure, but it was termed with the the medical code for medically induced abortion. And I was like, what? Like that really just, it just hit me so hard to see that I have an abortion. I never envisioned myself as someone who would have an abortion, to be quite clear and quite honest. But essentially, that's what the medical community was calling it. So, you know, I feel fortunate that I didn't have to have those concerns during that really stressful time in my life. I just, 
I found a doctor. I trusted her. She sent me to the hospital. I knew I was going to be in good hands and they were going to take care of me and, you know, everything would be fine. And if I had to find out all of that news that I had a bladed ovum and then have to worry about now, what do I do? Because I can't legally have an abortion. I I don't even know where I would begin. I just want to go on to say for anyone that is struggling and in the same position I was in, I am thankful I had the D&E because um, three months later, I was given the go-ahead to try again, and I got pregnant right away on the first try, and I went on to have a very healthy baby nine months later um, in June of 2019, and then we decided a year after that baby that we would start trying for baby number two, and essentially the first time we tried again we got pregnant with our second and she just celebrated her first birthday, uh, in July. She was born in July of 2021. So I have two very healthy babies. So I'm actually thankful that that procedure, you know, in my mind, I feel like maybe that actually cleaned out my uterus for lack of a better term and allowed me to have two really healthy pregnancies, especially later in life. I am in my late thirties now. Um, next year I will actually be 40. I just hope that people, you know, realize that the word abortion, it it really hits hard, but perhaps it's not always what you think of. And that maybe if we can try to look at it from a different perspective, you know, for me, I needed to have this procedure to save my life. You can't just go on with these byproducts of a pregnancy, you know, infection would set in and so forth. And you never even know if they're going to pass naturally on their own. So you know, I needed to have this DNA and I just, I'm really, really fortunate that, that I was able to have it despite having to have a miscarriage and going through all of that. I was able to have two really healthy pregnancies after. What would you say to somebody listening that is currently debating having an abortion for whatever reason it might be? What would you say to them right now? Well, first of all, uh, reach out to me if you need anyone to talk to. That's my first thing for sure. Um, And I can certainly pass you my contact information as well. But I think my mom gave me really good advice. She said that that day was the first selfless decision I made as a mother. And I think anyone in this situation, for any reason, I think that can hold true for a lot of stories, not just mine, whether you're not financially capable, emotionally capable, age, whatever it is, it can be a selfless decision. It doesn't make you a monster. You're not alone and you're not doing something wrong. And it's okay to be conflicted about it. When I was trying to decide what to do, I looked for stories like mine and they were hard to find because I I feel like you hear so much about you know, rape and incest and young girls and people have medical complications. And in a lot of those situations, you think, well, of course that makes sense. But in a situation like mine, right, a a family that is well off has every privilege, right, to be able to add more children to their family, no major health conditions, right? And and really what, what the main issue was, was our mental health. You don't hear those stories very often, right? Of of people you wouldn't think would make those decisions, but they're out there, right? You're not alone. I couldn't find them. But when I started to talk to trusted friends, 
I heard of friends they knew or coworkers they knew or someone they knew that was in a similar situation and made the choice to end a pregnancy. So I would say that, that no, whatever position you're in, you're probably not alone. And again, what you're, what you're doing is not wrong and it's okay to be conflicted, right? I felt very sad and I, I grieved afterwards, which was confusing, right? Cause it's a choice you make to lose something, right? And then to grieve over it. I would want them to feel supported to make their own decisions. Um, I think people don't realize how hard things are mentally, physically, emotionally. You never know what anybody else is going through. So whether or not you believe in abortions, you think they're right, you think they're wrong. Nonetheless, it's not your choice to make. So I would just want to empower people to feel confident in doing what's best for them and making their own choices. I don't have kids. So it's hard to tell you that, you know, having a child is what people say a miracle, and it's a blessing and all these things. And, but I have plenty of people around me surrounding me that have children, and it 1000% changes your life. And if you're not prepared for that, I would absolutely fully support the decision to have an abortion. Because for me personally, I, I can't imagine it any other way right now, even though I know it's a very, very hard decision to make. I think, I think what I would say is that it's a personal choice and it's something that if you're looking for advice on the best, you know, it could be your doctor, it could be a safe space, someone like a sounding board to just kind of talk it out with, but really ultimately it's up to, it's up to the woman and it's up to her, it's her body and it's what is best for her and her future. If there is someone considering abortion, I would definitely let them know that they should look at every option. Let people know that they are considering it. Maybe there is someone struggling with infertility, you know, and would be willing to to care for this baby. But I wouldn't say that 100% you should go with adoption. And I also wouldn't say that 100% you should go for abortion. What I say is that you should 100% Go with what you feel is the right decision for yourself at that time, because that's the best decision that you're going to be able to make for that baby and for yourself. If you know that you are not going to be able to provide for that baby in the best way that you will be comfortable with, and while it is a difficult decision, it might be the best decision for yourself, for your sanity, and for that baby. What I would say to somebody who is thinking about getting abortion is just to, to sit with yourself and think about it and try and disentangle, you know, from all the politics and think about what, what you need and what you want for your life. And then, you know, move forward with your decision. And if you have somebody that in your life that you trust, I hope you do to talk to that person. And, you know, it, if you live in a state where it's not no longer an option for you, there are a lot of networks and resources out there to help you. You know, don't give up. If it's what you need and what you want for yourself, then it can be done. What would I say to someone that's considering having an abortion today? That I was someone who never thought I would have an abortion. I didn't even realize I was having an abortion until after the procedure happened. 
And so perhaps, you know, we can try to think of the word abortion in a different light. Sometimes it's not always to end a life. Sometimes it's to save a life, the mothers. If somebody listening is against abortion and against the right for a woman to choose, what would you want to say to them? Oh, yeah, that is a hard one. I come from a very spiritual background. I was in a lot of Christian groups in college, and a lot of my best friends are still Christian, and I'm not even sure a lot of them knew that this is actually what happened, because I even felt shame to share this story. And and now, now I don't, because I have a daughter, and nobody should be able to make my decision for me, and nobody knows until you're faced with that decision, especially in my case. I... I saved my baby from pain and I firmly stand by that. And it's just, it's nobody's right except, except mine. I would say that I completely respect their decision to hold that belief and to make choices in their life based on that belief. That's certainly something they can choose, right? And hold and think. But, but what I'd ask them to try to consider are some different perspectives that, that maybe they've not thought about, right? Think about, you don't know what things are like until you walk in somebody else's shoes. I've, I've heard good parallels around, would you be willing to go through a kidney or a liver transplant or donate your blood or platelets on a regular basis for months at a time, right? An intense medical procedure that took your body to save someone else's life. And then what if you were forced to do that? No matter the risks to you, Right. Because I think part of the big gray zone in, in a lot of this discussion is when is the risk to the life of the mother enough, right? When is it enough of a risk of their mental illness being so detrimentally affected that they commit suicide, right? Or when is it that they are high-risk pregnancy enough that that then it's okay, right? There's so much gray zone. And until you walk in somebody else's shoes, you can never really truly understand all the complex aspects of somebody's life that would lead them to make that decision. And secondly, it asks them to try to be open to the research that shows the true ways that you can decrease the number of abortions that happen in this country, right? Through contraception, through free healthcare, through sex education, and not through outlawing it. But look at the research that shows that out changing the law around it, forcing it, the decision doesn't reduce pregnancies. It just makes unsafe abortions happen. It makes things worse for women, for women of color and women of low income and families of low income in particular, for any people that choose to have a uterus and get pregnant. It just, it makes their life so much harder and is such a step backwards. So I do think it's interesting because I feel like if I were to have a party in my neighborhood right now during this conversation, it would be interesting because I do live in the South. So I bet you there are a lot of people who do not agree in pro-choice. But that's the thing is it's pro-choice. Like, So I've worked in the NICU as an OT. And believe it or not, there are not people like coming through the NICU slaying babies. Like, I don't know if that's the vision that people have in their head or what, but that's not what happens. So for people who disagree on pro choice, that's great. Then you don't have an abortion if you don't want to do that. And I hope that you're never in a position to have to choose what you would do with your body. But for people who disagree, 
I mean, I think that we just need to take a step back and not be so worried about what other people are doing with their lives, with their bodies, and be kind to people. That they've never been probably put in this position. And and if they have, I guess I would be curious to know how life in general has gone for them. You know, for me, I'm finishing up an advanced degree that I don't know if I would be where I am if I would have had a child. Would I even be finishing school? And I just think people need to try to put themselves more into other people's situations and realize what an impact having a child can have on someone's life and not even, and not even having a child, like even your body, how, you know, a woman's body changes. And I can't imagine having to go through that and have not wanted it. Even the, you know, just another thing I've thought about is the financial aspect of having a child you know, it's, it's on the woman, right? Like it's on me, you know, me personally, I am married, but we have shit health insurance right now. And even the, the cost, you know, you're asking, you're asking a woman and I realize like cost versus a life is, is different, but it's, it's something to also, you know, consider is that the cost of having to even have prenatal visits and all the costs associated with the medical care being pregnant and it's on, it's on you. Uh, It's on the woman. You just have no idea what goes into a decision like this. If you haven't been in this position, not that I was, I wasn't against abortion, but I personally thought that I wouldn't have an abortion prior to having one. And when I was faced with a decision, you know, you just, you don't know what you will choose unless you're in that position yourself, I guess, if that makes sense. And so just to, to realize, you know, if, if I think the majority of people who are against abortion, it's very much a religious thing. And I would say to them, if that's the case, Imagine if someone else was pushing their religious views and values on you. How would you take to that? Because I don't think it's you would take to it well if someone was trying to dictate your life based on their religious views. What would I say to someone who is against abortion and the right to choose? And I have come across this with close friends and even family members. And nobody is telling those people the decision that they need to make. And if somebody is, then that is a situation that they need to work around and figure out because nobody should be able to tell me what I can and cannot do with my body. And if I don't feel that it is the right decision, or if my health is in danger, or my other children's health is in danger, then I should be able to make the decision that is best for myself and for my family. You know, if if I'm going to lose 
friendships or bonds with somebody because they think that they have the right to choose for me and for my body or anybody else in their body, then that's fine. That's not a relationship or a friendship that I want to have moving forward. I hope my daughters will live in a better world. I hope my son will be able to champion for them and to make changes because unfortunately it's still a male-dominated world. And I just hope that as a country, we can overcome the situations that we are putting ourselves into and that we can just live and let live and let people pursue happiness however they see that fit. As far as people who are anti-abortion, I just think, you know, we live on a in a country that was founded on the idea of separation of church and state. So how can you possibly justify being anti-choice? If it's not for you, don't get an abortion. But let pregnant people make this choice for themselves. We live in a free country. We live in a country where people you know, should be able to make a choice about their own body, not influenced by other people's religion. I really hope that we turn this situation around in this country. It's a hard decision to make, but it's the right one for a lot of people. And, uh, and I'm really sad about where we are as a country. You know, to someone who is against abortion and against the right to choose, I would just say it would be ideal if we could just respect everybody's decisions and just support each other. Whether or not I think it's right or wrong to have an abortion, it may be medically necessary. And if it saves your life, I think your life is just as valuable as any other life. If, if that's the case and that's advised by your doctors, then I would trust that. Um, and I don't think that there should be any shame or a negative connotation that goes along with that. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.